Gentlemen, good morning. Hitler has scheduled a military briefing for today at one o'clock. Stauffenberg will start once everyone is present. Before arming the explosives, Stauffenberg will call for authorization to proceed. After the flash, his inside man will sever all communications. Assuming Fromm refuses to join us, Olbrich would take command of the reserve army and initiate Welcome. Then he'll notify all district commanders that the SS is attempting to seize power. The reserve army will arrest all SS, Gestapo, and Nazi officials. By then, Stauffenberg will have returned to Berlin and taken command of the reserve army. Witzleben and I will assume the roles of commander of the armed forces and head of state. With Berlin secured, Dr. Gerdler will address the nation as our new chancellor. Then, God willing, we can negotiate a truce with the Allies and save Europe from Hello, listener, and welcome back to the Modern History HSC podcast. This is our latest episode of Who is the Greatest Nazi Preface Other Than Hitler? Because we all know that this would be a very short debate if we could come in and pick Hitler as the most important Nazi for Nazi Germany, power and authority. He's got the cult of personality. He draws all the people together, but he's surrounded by all these other ladder climbers and sycophants and people who are out to please him and also people who made him who he is. In the opening scene of the podcast that you're listening to at the moment, it was a clip from the movie Valkyrie, which was the real life plot to actually kill Hitler. And part of the plan was to also ensure that all the other members of the SS and the Gestapo and the Nazi like inner circle had to be arrested because they in their own right had a lot of power. So we're going to play around with an alternative timeline, which is that if Hitler was killed or if Hitler was removed early on after the Nazis consolidated power, who's the most important Nazi other than Hitler? Today we have Jackson, Sophie and Scott. They're going to come through now and reveal. We have no idea what each uh, each other have chosen, so this will be an interesting surprise. Um, they're not going to go into too much detail straight up. Um, they're just going to say who they picked and a little bit of a hello. And I'm going to start with Jackson. Hello. Uh, my name is Jackson Worley. Um, in this study, I'm going to be looking specifically at uh, uh, Himmler, I think he is a good representation of somebody with a a lot of power as well um, and a lot of contribution to the ideas of Hitler um, and a lot of influence. So, yes, I will be looking at uh, Himmler today. Cool. And Sophie? Hi, everyone. It's Sophie. Um, For today, I have chosen that I believe that Joseph Goebbels was – the me- a member of the inner circle that contributed most to Hitler's consolidation of power. Um, I believe this because Goebbels was Hitler's propaganda chief, and I believe that propaganda was one of the most important tools used by the Nazis to try and get their message spread across to the German people. Excellent. Scott? Thank you, sir. I also agree with Sophie. I think that Joseph Goebbels would take up the role of um, 
Hitler if he were to die in this alternate timeline, because I do believe he was entrusted with the most power. Oh, rightio. We got a repeat of the greatest uh, Cold War president episode. We got a two-on-one. Um, we'll do something similar, which is I'm going to let each side have a bit of a rebuttal and see if it picks up any steam. If it doesn't, I want to go through and also lay out the case for all the other Nazis as well. So, Jackson, you're up first, mate. Why has it got to be Himmler? Why is it not Goebbels? Oh, God, this is going to be hard now. I'm being overrun by everybody else. Um, I feel like with him, I understand Goebbels was... I also had a thought that maybe he would be one to select as well as a position of power. But um, I wanted to choose somebody else that I thought may be a little interesting as well in a different aspect is just with political power, um, and that was law enforcement. So I kind of believed Himmler was in so much power and control of the SS during the time of the Nazi party being, you know, at the peak they were in Germany. I feel as if, um, as well, also he was the uh, starter of the concentration camps as well. I understand that's like a cliche thing to bring in that, that would, that's how you would have significant amount of power. But I believe that um, he was also an active um, for the German people and outside of the German people, like a symbol of almost terror and control he, um, he was really good at organisation um, and he was also really good at uh, creating fear amongst uh, the German people for the Jewish population as well. Um, I feel as if he had so much power and fear from that that he could have been a pretty good contributor to still running the country um, and maintaining uh, a, like a sense of organisation um, in the public as he had so much control, as I said, of the law, um, specifically the SS. And he also had developed Hitler's ideas um, for the, like, for the taking, like the, the abolishment of the Jewish people to a whole nother extent as well, which was something that um, even Hitler was scared of with um, Himmler because he, he did want to contribute to, you know, getting rid of the Jewish people, but um, Himmler had already also brought into play this whole new power statement of that these this whole race is going to get abolished, um, this whole this whole group of people, um, and his ideas of just um, bringing that into play was also something that I think the German people looked upon of, of you know this whole new control of power, um, and I think he he had those few things on his um, shoulders, something that could help him with justification of him being onto the next powerhouse for Germany if, you know, Hitler was something would have happened to Hitler. Um, and I know they're not as politically run as, you know, Goebbels and that, but I think just that solidify, um, like the solidifying of him being in such a powerhouse for the law um, was something that could have, you know, continued on, um, expanded into the future than just as a political aspect. Well, for Goebbels, I do see where you're coming from, Jackson, but for Goebbels, I'd say that he sort of put his all into propaganda. So because that was so important, because Hitler and the Nazi Party, all they wanted was to spread mess the message, like their message around Germany. And I believe that with Goebbels, he was able to target the lower class and he was able to, I guess, target specific, like, 
needs and things for people. So, um, yeah, I just believe that he put his all into propaganda because he knew, I guess, the importance it had for Hitler. So he was trying to, he was sort of getting on Hitler's good side. Trying to, yeah. Yeah, I, um, I can second that. It was actually um, Goebbels that declared war on Russia, not Hitler. And that shows you like the peak of his power that he had so much, Hitler had so much trust in Goebbels that he actually had the power to declare war on such a significant country such as Russia. Um, I also believe that the the power of the mind beats um, obviously brute strength because um, Goebbels had a unique way of like convincing people to basically follow him unquestionably and basically the words of Hitler was coming straight through the mouth of Goebbels. He um, had really good writing in movies, like one of these movies called IQs. It was designed um, to subtly sway the Germans' opinions. This particular film um, was trying to pursue um, Germans in following this um, program called the um, Actum T4 program, where it was the euthanasia of disabled people and making it right in order to reach the perfect um, superior race. And it was films like this that were so dangerous and so persuasive that it actually caused the Germans to kill off those um, disabled people in order for a new superior race, um, which is why I see Goebbels as such a dangerous and such a influential person in the inner circle. Um, and sorry, well. I just want to clarify one of the points, or I would like clarification on one of the points. Scott, your point about saying Goebbels you know, declared war on Russia. Like, yes, I understand he's the propaganda, like he's the mouthpiece that makes sense that he would do that. But you're not, are we being clear that, like, he wasn't the one who made the decision to do it? It's not yeah. like Goebbels woke up one day and said to Hitler, oh, by the way, we're fighting Russia. No, he was... Yeah. The, um... I think that just came across as, like, you know, he got to make the actual military decision. But, yeah, I, you, your point's still good. I just wanted to clarify, that's all. Yeah, that's right. Cool. Righto, Sophie, sorry I cut you off. No, you're right. All I was going to say was that with films and movies and books and stuff that had come out, it would have to sort of be approved by Goebbels. So whether it was a hidden message or whether it was blatantly obvious, there had to be some sort of, like, something to do with the Nazi message. And, yeah, that's what I was just going to add on. As well. Right, oh, no. Jackson, what do you reckon? <laughs> Have you got any sort of like rebuttal? They're coming at you like, you know. I oh, know, I've been he's... overthrown here. <laughs> no, it's like your man's got all the fear and that's controlling the German people at the fringes. And then you've got Goebbels and he's the mouthpiece. He's got the silver tongue. He's leading the propaganda and he's perhaps like leading the middle class. Um, what's more important? 
like controlling the masses and you know Goebbels bringing out some of the good things as well like um which we've talked about with Nazi consolidation um supporting like the a strong family unit the Nazi youth building of infrastructure work that's all very important but then there are these people at the fringes who are never going to be like convinced and that's what Himmler's dealing with what's more important um it's hard to say because it's such an even like playing field of the position of power and control and also the position of persuasion and propaganda. But I think one thing as well that um, Himmler was pretty good at, or he like he was very um, nationalistic as well. Like he, um, and like, I don't know, patriotic, I guess, because he, Himmler wanted everything to be Germanized, like, because there was a, um, point where you know the invasion of Poland Poland and stuff to try and like a Germanization of Poland and uh, their culture onto another or another you know another another section and to slowly grow this onto you know more and more of around the world um, and I think there was the insight of that as well to the Germ- the public um, of Germany that you know Himmler was pretty nationalistic and that he did want um, Germany as a country to slowly spread to other places and their culture to be put onto um, other countries. Um, and I think also with that consolidation of power, there, there could have been some success to that with how large and, you know, how much of control he was in with the SS as a, um, as like a standpoint, like, you know, he was, you know, head of the police as well. Um, and I think there could have been a slow, you know, a slow influence to other places, especially nearby, that would be able to uh, consolidate more power into Germany if they had enough force um, and enough influence to the people there to try and push through. So I think in that sense, again, I'll have to go back to the consolidation of power, especially for Himmler, that uh, as a main key of something that he could use to push through with these other things. Um, And I think that's something that also would have been able to help was the, sw- the slow invasion of other countries and, you know, the eventual takeover of Germanization to these, which would spread and also build and solidify more power and more belief in, you know, the socialist aspect and stuff like that. So, yeah, the slow spread might have helped as well than just, again, from a political standpoint of just being inside the country of Germany and not trying to, you know, again, with force, take it into another um you know, another areas around Germany. And I have, a, I do have a quote here from Himmler that kind of sums this up um, a little bit more, you know, the best political weapon is the weapon of terror. Cruelty commands respect. Men may hate us, but we don't ask for their love, only for their fear. Again, that is pretty bloody brutal. I mean, that's an insane yeah, quote to I have. I would agree with you. <laughs> for somebody just to say that, but then again, it shows that um, persistent of force that Himmler has believed should you know, could be an influence in that anything political-wise, you know, is also there as um, something to look at. But just brute force, you know, invasion, takeover, and then the slow spread of um, a belief system and the political system that is from Germany, you know, could help with, again, spreading to other countries and slowly, with, with his point of view, spreading to the rest of the world. And he was so determined with that, that, you know, it was something that Hitler was determined with as well. And him, I think, was really influenced as well uh, by that. Oh, yeah. Jackson's bringing the fire, um, even though he's got it's a two to one. 
Um, I want to know if there's anything else from the Gerbil side of the argument that wants to rebuttal that. Maybe you have your own quotes, because otherwise we can move into looking at the other candidates. So has anybody else on the Gerbil side got a quote? Yeah, i I got a quote here. Um, it really reflects how Joseph Goebbels had that unique ability to um, spit venom at certain races and really develop a um, hate for a certain scapegoat, which would have assisted Himmler in his, um, in his support for these brutal actions that he did. So Joseph Goebbels said, Humanity would sink into an internal darkness. It would fall into a dull and primitive state where the Jews to win this war, they are the incarnation of that destructive force that these terrible years have guided the enemy war leadership into the fight against all that we see as noble, beautiful and worth keeping. For that reason alone, the Jews hate us. They despise our culture and learning, which they perceive as towering over their nomadic worldviews. They fear our economic and social standards, which leaves us no room for their parasitic drives. It's that pure venom that he spits onto the Jews that just really makes the people convinced that these Jews are just out to get them. And that really gives Himmler the green light for the German people to actually start these concentration camps and be brutal to them. If I'm able to uh, rebuttal that, with that quote, though, with saying that it does show again with the, again, you know, Goebbels and the propaganda, but Himmler and the solid influence to try and destroy without any any obstacles in the way, destroy the Jewish race. You know, Goebbels may act upon saying things politically about the Jewish people and, you know, um, and, you know, and, and Himmler as well, but Goebbels, again, with a political standpoint, he's saying things about the Jewish people and how negative of an effect they can be on the German people, um, but then Himmler, with the SS and the creation of the concentration camps, takes it to a whole other level and really tries to solidify a, a a solid statement and a you know a thing showing that the Nazi Party and the Nazi circle is in power politically. Um, that you know he wants to completely eradicate the Jewish population and he is going to do that with brute force. And you know the German people are physically. Um, uh, visually, you know, they're going to be able to see what is going on and see large concentration camps, large, um, you know, gatherings of um, these Jewish people lined up and, you know, them being absolutely despised by the general public. Um, and this would be, this is going to help with solidifying Himmler as a power power station of, you know, somebody that wants to continue purifying the German people and making sure that nothing stands in his way and not just as a verbal thing, but as like a, a physical thing of destroying these these people and this and this whole population that would also help him uh, to show his power and his importance with trying to Germanize uh, the rest of the world or countries around. And oh, and on that as well, I was just gonna say, but there was some opposition that was seen during like when what you're trying to say. So 
basically this opposition sort of came from the churches and even the youth for like freedom of expression, I guess you could say. And that's how Goebbels sort of came in and would put it specifically to people's needs. So, for example, he would, for women, he would use the propaganda and present them as super mums or champion mums if they were, like, if they were on the posters and if they followed Hitler. So, yeah, that's what I was just going to add. Yeah. So, again, we've got Himmler. He's the doer. He's targeting people on the fringes. He's not afraid to have strong actions, and that's shown in a very physical way. Goebbels is really trying to manage the bulk or the mass of Germany, and like you just said, he's tailoring it. He brings his own venom, but he's probably a bit more of a talker rather than rather than a doer. Not to say that he hasn't got a good work ethic, um, but, yeah, not in the same way that um, Himmler might be carrying out justice. So... This isn't just the Goebbels and Himmler show. There are plenty of other Nazis that we could talk about. So we need to start with um, the deputy Führer. We need to actually start with the second in command, which is Rudolf Hess. And I think my case for Rudolf Hess, if we're talking about in the early stages of consolidation of power, both of the people that you have brought up um, really didn't have that much of an impact in the in the early, early stages. Yes, they really help after Hitler's failed beer hall putsch, but Hess is there from the beginning. He is Hitler's biggest fan. Um, when the beer hall putsch fails and Hitler just has, like, this mental breakdown and he's going to commit suicide in jail, Hess goes to be locked up with Hitler, like, rehabilitates him and then helps him write Mein Kampf and yeah like he's not very relevant after that but <laughs> he goes pretty insane but I think we need to consider that so Jackson what do you reckon why not Hess <laughs> um Hess yeah I mean after Mein Kampf and that yeah he's it's kind of a downfall from there and stuff like he's um politically wise I mean it's not I don't know. He kind of just still admires Hitler, to, like just starts to a, to such an extent. Um, I mean, yeah, the the inclusion of him helping Hitler write Mein Kampf um, was definitely something that I mean, Hitler mightn't have even been put into power without Hess, you know, supporting him and um, making sure that he doesn't, you know, perform these actions that he was going to do to himself to just, you know, just to you know suicide so you know in that standpoint i mean he has helped he did help hitler regain you know a solid consciousness and come to terms with everything and try to pursue what he was wanting to do which was solidify you know nazism and stuff to the to the country i think after that um there wasn't a lot of solid grounding for hess though that would help him with like he didn't have much of a political standpoint like you know goebbels or himmler did with a um you know, from that aspect, I mean, he was he was always supporting Hitler um, in those terms, but as a political powerhouse or somebody that would want to make, um, you know, statements to the to the German people, control things, put new put new ideas out there and solidify them, uh, I wouldn't really see Hess as somebody that would be up to the job for doing that. I just don't think he had the brute force that these other politicians had that. Um, would help him 
you know, continue with uh, his his like influence and power to the German public and uh, maybe fear to the rest of the world um, for for him as a politician. Yeah. yeah. I, I oh, sorry. Kind of, um, I was jumping between um, Goebbels, uh, Goebbels, sorry, and um, Rudolf Hess, mainly for the reason that it was um, he had a a high contribution to the Hitler's consolidation of power, and like him getting up there at the start, but obviously. After that, he did go downhill and he tried to do a peace mission to Britain, which ended miserably, caught him in jail for till he was 90. But um, he, without him stopping Hitler from committing suicide, there would have been no Nazi party of real significance that it was at. Like, um, in terms of Hitler staying alive, and continuing on his pursuit to um, be the leader of Germany, Hess did contribute um, so much, but not as much as um, Goebbels did, because it was really Goebbels that uh, continued on Hitler's message and he gained all that power through the propaganda and swayed the people entirely like when he went up against Hindenburg um I think he got 39 percent of the votes so that's quite a big influence um compared to Hindenburg and obviously when Hindenburg died um and Hitler was appointed to Chancellor um it was just a matter of time before that influence just overtook. Yeah, and just before Sophie goes, again, clarification from the question, which is that like, we're not going to go, it can't just be who is the very first person who helps Hitler because we go all the way back to um, Dietrich Eckhart who finds Hitler, but he's like he's nowhere going to be the next person who seizes power in, in case Hitler dies. So, yeah, I think you're all bringing up pretty good points so far that even though Rudolf Hess is probably, um, you know, Hitler's number one man in the beginning, he's definitely not when they're in any sort of real power. Sophie, do you have anything to add before we talk about someone else? Yeah, well, what I was going to say is that because Hess was one of Hitler's, like, earliest henchmen, I guess you could say, it was he had so much power, like, he could... He could have held so much power, but he let the other people around him sort of undermine him, I guess you could say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Radio. So, the war hero, um, Hermann Goering, um, the leader of Germany's largest state, so in Prussia, has his own special police force, the Gestapo himself and is the commander of the Luftwaffe. Um, I know he definitely saw himself as the, I guess, next leader of Germany if Hitler was ever to fail. There is plenty of evidence for that, and he definitely legitimises the Nazis in the early stages as well. He brings prestige. He's from the upper class. The Nazis are nobodies. 
and he's really in it for his own power games. Um, he's not a strong anti-Semite like the rest of them, like the rest of the Nazis as well. Um, I just really think he's in, he's already in a real position of power. And the Allies, the Allies definitely think that he's number, he's the number two, um, though they're looking at it from an outside perspective. So why is it not Hermann Goering? Well, um, I believe it's not Hermann Goering because of he did have a really strong start. Like he was really good with the Air Force and he had real good ties to war for being a quite a good um, fighter ace. But um, after the injury he suffered in the Night of the Long Knives, he developed a addiction to painkillers. And that addiction really set him downhill in terms of his social life and it basically got him arrested and he was forced to really wean off those painkillers. Once he finally got weaned off, he then came back in and he had a a short stunt where he developed a really strong air force until the Allies developed more modern, more advanced planes that really just overtook the superiority of the German Air Force. But he also gained another pain addiction and from countless losses um, in terms of like his ego in with the Air Force, like he really had high hopes for the Air Force and each time they failed, he didn't see it as a fail. And that really led him to underestimate his enemies, which led to many losses on the German behalf. And being addicted to painkillers again, he just that further compounded his failures. So he he was quite useless towards the end for the Nazis. So I don't reckon he would have taken the leadership. Yeah, I I would agree because as Goering is sort of like he's in it for personal power, I think. So as a Nazi party and for Hitler's consolidation of power, I think that working together would have got them to achieve what they wanted. And I don't think Goering was was sort of in there for to help everyone else. I sort of think he was just there for personal power and to see one leader being charged again, because that's sort of what he grew up with. If I might also be able to add, um, Goering as well, I mean, yeah, I mean, during the early stages of the uh, Hitler's, you know, circle and the position of power for the Nazi party, um, yeah, I mean, as Scott said, he was going really well with the Air Force, um, you know, and everything else um, aside with all the addictions and other stuff. Like, I mean, by, I mean, by 1941, he had reached probably the peak power for him uh, with the Air Force. But I think one thing that would also contribute to him not being able to be uh, the next powerhouse is that, you know, he slowly was looked down, I, I believe, by the German public as um, the Air Force failed to stop attacks from German cities. I mean... Um, the German, you know, I can't, 
the what was the name Luftwaffe? What was, what was Luftwaffe. it called? Yeah, Luftwaffe. I mean, they, you know, during the ni- early 1940s and late 1930s, yeah, again, they were a peak powerhouse. But yeah, like 1941, after that, after the Allies managed to, uh, yeah, completely bomb the hell out of a few German cities um, and also take over a few other um, parts around Germany. Um, and the German people relying on the air force, you know, I think I feel as if the public and also the political party uh, slowly was starting to look down on Goering as somebody that would be able to have any control because of just the failures that he was enduring during these times of, you know, a lot of backlash, I think, was being created by the German people against Goering for, you know, the mistakes he's made and the promises he had made about, again, the air force and the power that, um, eventually didn't work out and, uh, yeah, the Allies were still able to attack and um, take over a few sections of the German cities, which was something that uh, the German public didn't want. Yeah, he did um, He did promise Hitler that he was going to be able to knock the, the uh, what would you say, Great Britain out of the war with the bombing of Britain and that just, that date just kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back and Till it got pushed back forever. Um, so I think you guys uh, bring up an excellent point that he has got his own internal issues. He is at the height of his power at 1941 at the very beginning. He he probably could have taken the position then if anything happened to Hitler. Um, but yeah, a little bit later on, some of that shine starts to wear off, especially once he starts to get fat. I think he tries to compensate with medals. Um, so... I was thinking what we could do is maybe also talk about, as a final Nazi, Ernst Rom. Now, I know he gets killed in the Night of the Long Knives. However, if we're giving credence to consolidation of power, and here's another scenario. Let's say the Night of the Long, the Night of the Long Knives don't happen, doesn't happen and the Purge doesn't happen. Is Ernst Rom with the SA in a position, does he have enough power to take control of the Nazis? And then you have the Nazis, you know, seizing power by trying to seize power by revolution again. Let's just pull on that thread a little bit and then we'll make our final decision. What do you reckon, Jackson? Um, That's difficult, actually. That is difficult to think about. I actually don't know. I don't know what would have happened because the SA <laughs> was so corrupt anyway. I mean... I don't know if there could have been two points as like two ways it would have split off where um, the SA did manage to keep being an influence and power. And then again, yeah, revolutionize and whatever. And, and, um, and, you know, things fall back into Rom's hands and he does manage to gain a large amount of power through, uh, yeah, the influence of the SA. But I don't know if that would happen or if there would just be this whole other side of the SA becoming more and more corrupt to a point where the even the German public themselves, I know, understand there's a lot of uh, power through the SA, but they don't want them there anymore, and it's and the political parties just it, nothing would be able to move forward, and no actions would be able to take, you know, um, influence against the, uh, you know, destroying the Jewish race and stuff like that, like, um, and that organisation that Himmler brought with the SS of everything being, uh, you know, tip top of being organised, um, police forces being, you know, under 
um, behavioral inspection and making sure that things weren't um, completely corrupt, you know, that have been seen throughout the public from the police force and from the SS, whereas the SA may have led to this high level of corruption and Roman, maybe that whole party, um, that whole force may have just fallen and crashed and not been able to rebuild themselves just from the absolute destruction that they were causing to the to the people. And I think that I actually think that that probably would have been the likely thing that would have stemmed off if the night of the long knives wouldn't have happened. That Rome and his SA would have just become too corrupt, and the eventual abolishment of it would have happened anyway. Um, I don't think I can't really see any other ways that he would have been able to solidify power with just how unorganized everything was. Yeah, what do you what do you reckon, uh, Sophie? Yeah, I reckon that because Rome sort of was Hitler's political rivalry, I guess you could say, um, Hitler sort of wanted to, like, whatever happened, he sort of, if something happened with Rome, he sort of take advantage of that and be like, oh, what you're doing is completely wrong. Like, we've got to get rid of you. Like, I feel like he just took advantage of anything to do with Rome that was against him. So even being told by, like, about the coup that he was already, that he was apparently going to do, Hitler didn't manage to want to find out if it was true or not. He just automatically went, no, we can't do this. So, I totally agree. Yeah, I um, I do believe that they were very corrupt, but um, it was that corrupt nature that really got Hitler onto his feet in the political sense. The SA was basically a whole paramilitary of thugs, and they would beat up and uh, just sometimes murder people that were against the Nazi Party. They um. They were really strong too, like they had about over a million people strong. And there was also Erms Rome that um, illegally seized the weapons that were supposed to be destroyed because of the um, Treaty of Versailles. Um, those weapons were supposedly destroyed, but um, Rome kept them. And that really gave them an edge um, in World War II because they didn't have to produce all these weapons. He was able to get them out of a stockpile. But also any protests, um, different parties that opposed the Nazis were obviously beaten up by the SA. And it was for this reason that Hitler was able to basically soldier on through unopposed until he had to distance himself from that corrupt nature, which is ultimately what brung on the Night of the Long Knives. But Ernst Rome was such a big threat to him that he had to go. Yeah, I think um, maybe one point that I just want to bring up again that I think Sophie and I probably definitely agree on is that as you said, Scott, like all of that happened and, you know, he took away, you know, took back weapons and stuff that were being that corrupt um, point of view was good from the start to solidify power as um, for the for the party. But I, I think Sophie and I probably, as I said, probably agree that after that point, though, when everything was in place, um, there definitely needed to be more of an organised 
um, you know, way things were put forward, especially for police force and um, and a different set of of the army, which again, Himmler with the SS, how organised he was, was how he was so successful with it. And I definitely think that the SA in Rome would have just been so corrupt and so looked down on and despised that um, I just I just don't think that they would have been an influence after the Night of the Long Knives as a position of power. They were just too corrupt and too unorganised to continue with what they were doing and be persistent with it without something eventually going wrong and the party just completely wiping them out. Yeah, I think it just got to a point where Hitler was worried that Ernst Röhm was going to have more power or something, and then he was looking for things that would make a reason, I guess, to just completely get rid of him. Right. Um, Okay, let's play out the alternate timeline. So we've got our two people. Um, The bomb has gone off. It's in the right place. Hitler is dead and the actions are going out and let's say there isn't any other power apparatus or anything that's going to happen. And let's say Goebbels is all behind it. He's looking to seize power and he picks up the phone. He's like, um, we got to get, we're going to make sure that Himmler doesn't try to seize power. Arrest him. Who arrests Himmler? Who's going to arrest him? Not uh, the SS. I, I, not the SS. Possibly the, the military or the police. Or the Gestapo. Well, the, the police uh, is completely controlled by him. Was the military controlled by him? Uh, no, but military do you, was have, controlled any, by do you have any, again, do you have any confidence that the military has allegiance to Goebbels? Uh, well, they have allegiance to Hitler, mm-hmm. and if... Goebbels is left in Hitler's place, then the military would basically be against the SS. And seeing as the SS was a, a offspring of Hitler, the military, uh, they've been there for longer than the SS, so maybe with the support of the people, the military would then overthrow Himmler and the SS. But I think the SS is also very well organized and there might actually be a stronger force in the military yeah sophie what do you reckon it does that kind of throw a like a chink in the uh in the argument that how does it actually roll out if hitler is just like you know gone and then there's a power vacuum we all know how those bloody turn out um there's no time to convince the people no well yeah, that's what I was going to say, because basically for a dictator to come to power, chaos is like one of the main things. And so if Hitler just suddenly went, then every chaos would occur because people would be like, oh, what's happening now? And so, yeah, I believe that Goebbels, had, because he was helping, well, he was the main one of the main people for helping Hitler um, consolidate power. He'd step up and sort of understand where Hitler was going with his ideas and different things like that. Right, Jackson. This is more of a layup for you. What do you reckon about this? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think I actually. 
think that Himmler, I mean, at this point um, with the army, I think Hitler would have been more of a threat um, to the army because of how much power he had with the SS that I think it would have been a point where um, they would have joined together and Himmler would have been a larger influence on Goebbels because, again, Goebbels as an individual aspect, as a politician, was powerful. But Himmler, with the amount of people he had behind him, again, with the SS and the police um, force and stuff like that, I think the army would have just moulded together as one and tried to... Um, um, he would have been consolidated with more power. I just think that the, just the people following Himmler and how much of a power you know, he had behind him would have really helped with him keeping it and solidifying him as somebody that would be able to continue with um, controlling Germany and the Nazi belief, I guess. Correct me if I'm wrong, sir, but wasn't Himmler um, replaced by Reinhard Heydrich? Or didn't Reinhard Heydrich have a even more formidable force that was ultra-secret and was actually overpowering the SS in form of um, of secrecy and importance in um, the Nazis. I wouldn't I wouldn't say he replaced him. Um, I do know that Heydrich was kind of given the buck, like passed the buck from Himmler to come up with the final solution and he was in charge of the of the SD. So the SS is like your secret police force to look after the people and the SD is to look after other Nazis to make sure that how can we get get dirt on them as well. But Heydrich, he worked very close with Himmler, and even yeah, up to was, the end when sorry. the yeah yeah, and even up to the end when everything's going to hell for the Nazis and the Russians are on the door. Um, like the reality was is that Goebbels is in the bunker with Hitler. You know, he's loyal to the end. He can't imagine a world a world without Hitler. And we know that because he took his children there and he took his, his wife there and they they all died from their own choice at the end after Hitler was gone. And Himmler, where was he? He was trying to communicate with the uh, person running the Red Cross. He was trying to, you know, move pieces around on the board to try to be seen by the Allies as the next leader. So maybe Himmler also had the ambition to be the leader. Maybe Goebbels didn't have the ambition, as we can see by these results. Um, because Goebbels didn't stick around after Hitler died. He's just like, no, nah, this is it. It was Hitler or nothing. Um, I'm out. And my whole family's out, which is terrible. So... Does that change anything, knowing that Goebbels didn't stick around after Hitler died? Well, um, it does change a few things. Like, Himmler had that over... Like, he had that view of, I'm for Germany and not mainly for Hitler, even though Hitler is there. He has that power and he, he is um, basically controls me but Himmler does um actually yeah he does have that further view in forms of the benefits for Germany but um a lot of people actually die with Hitler so I wonder if it was 
due to Hitler's cult of personality that um, they killed themselves, not the leadership. Because soldiers and um, people loyal to Hitler killed themselves because they were so entranced in his cult of personality that they actually just wanted to be with Hitler, not actually lead. Yeah, I'll add on to that. I think that um, Goebbels was, like, so dedicated to Hitler and his ways that he couldn't really imagine, like, living without him being above him and sort of, like, yeah. So I just think Goebbels sort of lived for making sure that Hitler's message was spread across and that he was helping consolidate his power throughout Germany. So I'd like to reiterate on that, that with Himmler, he wasn't just all about that Hitler life and, like, making sure Hitler was in that hierarchy of power. I mean, he was, like, again, had the SS. He had so much, he had so much power solidified and his organisational skills of um, the SS also would have helped him with um, understanding how the public worked and how he could make sure that everybody was also organised and following him um, as a leader and, and that he was trying to, um, to go to allied countries and form kind of like a peace connection as well, which is something that Goebbels wasn't doing. Um, again, he was just following Hitler, following what was going on, understanding that he was losing a position of power and followed him with that. So as you guys have both said that he didn't really see a life that was past the point where him, Hitler wasn't in charge and number one, where Himmler was kind of, he was confident with continuing on. He um, he had other aspects that he was trying to fix um, and help with the German, you know, the German Germany um, as a whole, where again, Goebbels was just following Hitler. So um, yeah, I think Himmler was really, he had a lot of skills and a lot of things under his belt that he would have been able to use to continue the, um, continue the control of Germany and also to help um, spread the Nazism and other aspects of that around the world whilst also having a sense of leadership to do so and not just wanting Hitler to be in the spotlight and following the rules of Hitler um, as well. And again, with Heydrich, he was also very close to Himmler, so there would have been those two, the SD and the SS, probably would have continued um, as a sort of, like as a power powerhouse as well. Um, and they were both very close to one another, so they could have continued again with that solidif solidification of power that, um, yeah, that Goebbels didn't really have and only had in a political aspect. If I may, um, do you think the do you think the timing of Hitler's death would have um, influenced how Goebbels um, reacted? Um, if there was an alternate timeline where Hitler died a natural death, like of old age, would he have been more motivated to lead? And um, obviously he would have led with the same, uh, the same properties as Hitler would have led. Do you think he would have um, not have killed himself, but instead of... Um, tried to continue on Hitler's legacy to the most if it wasn't that Hitler took his own life and instead he died of old age. Do you think the timing was 
a big factor in how Goebbels um, reacted. Um, yeah, totally. If if I was going to comment that we play up the cult of personality, you know, that Hitler and his whole family was so just like in love with him. Um, there's also the aspect that the Russians are at the gates of Berlin and if they hang around, um, some terrible things are going to happen to them. And as like a father, he probably doesn't want his children to be around when the Red Army finally takes like um, where they're hiding in the bunker. And also he doesn't want his wife to be around because um, the Red Army just pretty much just destroys, I can't use the language, but they just absolutely just rape and pillage that that city. So maybe it wasn't all about, you know, I love Hitler and I can't imagine a world without him. It's a little bit of that, but also I'm terrified for my family now. Like this was my last chance and now it's gone and I need to take the easier option out. Um, we've had, we do have somebody listening to our discussion at the moment and I've asked for a vote because again, I've got my opinions as well, throwing information in and someone's been listening the whole time. We've got Mark on the, on the call as well. He's just like listening to the whole discussion and Mark has put in a vote for him last. <laughs> uh, we've got a little bit of celebrating going on. Yes, Mark. Mark knows what's good. He He's thinking, of, he's thinking about the future. He doesn't, doesn't want... Yeah, shot Mark. <laughs> Shout out. Okay. Shout out to Mark. Radio. So, but that being said, I think that what we should come up with is that this comes down to a tie, okay? That I'm not going to come in with, like, a deal breaker and just squash it that we've got, because it could have been a vote from me or it could have been a vote from Mark, somebody else coming in, and Sophie and Scott haven't changed their minds like you guys haven't changed your minds. Nope, they haven't changed their minds right to the end. So if we are going to come down to a final decision, who is the most important Nazi and who could seize power, we're going to say that it could have been Himmler or it could have been Goebbels. It depends on the way that Hitler died. If it was chaos, it's Himmler hands down. If it's of old age and a proper handover, then it's probably Goebbels. Are we all happy with that? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, we're just going to keep going back and forth for hours and hours. Radio, thank you so much, guys. Yeah, very diplomatic. Yeah, we could have just done like a three-hour special just going back and forth. But we haven't got time for that because this is the end of the lesson. So thank you, listeners, for tuning in for our debate. Um, leave a little bit of feedback if you agree with us. If you don't agree with us, maybe we'll see a bit of a poll going. But otherwise, hopefully we'll see you on our next episode when we have a look at who is the greatest member of the Chinese Communist Party other than Mao. So I'll get everyone to sign off and then we'll go. So, Jackson, quick sign off. Thanks for listening. Shout out to Himmler. <laughs> Sophie.
Thank you everyone for listening and I hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as I did. And Scott. Thank you for listening. Um, hope you guys choose Goebbels as well. Rightio. And also thank you, Mark, for chipping in and being here for the whole discussion. Rightio, make sure you like, subscribe, you know, leave us a review on Apple um, or Spotify or whatever, and we'll catch you next time on the Modern History HSC podcast.